Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. and welcome to the Proactive Caregiving Podcast. As a CPA with over 20 years as an industry accountant, Jessica stepped away from the corporate world to become a full-time caregiver for her mother. Having learned invaluable lessons along the way, she is now here to share those with you and to invite you to join her on this caregiver's journey. Here is your host, Jessica Cannon. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad you're here with me today. I am the proactive caregiver, and I specialize in educating others on how to be proactive by empowering you, the caregiver. If you cannot take care of yourself, then you cannot take care of your loved one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to get into yet another area which I think is forgotten in terms of self-care. Financial planning, believe it or not. Financial planning is a very important part of self-care because it helps to alleviate stress. If you're struggling to make this connection here, think about what you go through every payday. How quickly does your hard-earned paycheck disappear? How often do you use credit cards to make ends meet? Having a flexible budget for the monthly expenses is so important, but so is preparing for the future. Getting married and having kids alone changes what our younger selves planned. Those plans might change yet again when our parents or spouse and even adult children turn to us for help. What I thought were the biggest expenses of my life in terms of weddings, college, or a home mortgage pale in comparison to growing long-term care expenses. This became the biggest blind spot for mom who once was a diligent saver. As dementia began to take its toll on her physically, It was also becoming a financial nightmare for our family. So while I speak with my next guest, Paul Berenajar, think about your current budget. Do you have one? If so, how strong or flexible is it? Do you have anything allocated for emergencies or retirement? I know this might feel like the opposite mindset of positive thinking and manifesting abundance, but financial problems bring about corrosive stress. We are pulled in so many different directions within the material world, only to be blindsided when life happens in an unexpected way. It's not an if, and more so a when the storm hits. So this is why I asked Paul to come on with me today to help share with us just how important financial planning is for our unknown future. Paul has a Master of Science in Financial Analysis and Investment Management. He is also a Chartered Financial Analyst, or CFA. He's in the California area, in the Bay Area, near Pleasanton. After nearly 20 years of investment experience, he launched his business, Smart Path Wealth Management. Paul Bear helps his clients get closer to what matters, which is spending less time worrying about their finances and more time focusing on what is important, like their family, their friends, 
businesses, careers, hobbies. You want to enjoy yourselves, right? His motto is plan better, invest better, and live better. Prior to launching SmartPath, he spent his time working as a financial analyst for various technology companies in the Bay Area. The tech industry is where he began to understand the unique needs of IT professionals and those who work for the tech companies. During this time, he was able to contribute to The Motley Fool to showcase his passion for researching and analyzing great businesses. You know, it's great to have a 401k, but it's even better to have someone like Paul as an ethical advisor to broaden your options and learn how to weather those financial pitfalls and storms. Life will present us. So without further ado, thanks for coming on with me today, Paul. Hey, thanks, Jessica. It's uh, great to be here. So before I we go a little bit further, um, I do want to help others try and clear up any confusion if they have any, um, the differences between a CFA and a CFP or the Certified Financial Planner. Can you give us a little bit of insight on that? Yeah, yeah, sure. I know the CFP is more well-known with individuals, and I think that's because a lot of what they do is focused on holistic financial planning and planning for individuals and families, where the CFA is more investment-heavy. But really, they can both be focused on individuals and families, and I think they um, share more in common with what's important. And what I always say is you can't really have a financial plan without an investment plan and vice versa. You can't have an investment plan without, you know, a, a holistic financial plan. And I compare it to like exercise and nutrition, right? Like you go see a personal trainer, they won't have a plan for you unless they know your goals. Right. Know? They're going to you have a different workout and nutrition plan if you're trying to lose weight versus adding muscle or gaining flexibility. So. So I think the most important thing when you're looking for someone to work with is that they have your best interest in mind. Both the CFA and CFP designation have a high ethical standard and a fiduciary requirement to put their clients first. So, you know, when you work with someone with either those three letters after their name, you can um, have more confidence that they're advising you in your best interest. Definitely. Which, crazy enough, is not really required in the financial services industry. <laughs> well, you know, when I began to step into mom's world and work with her finances, I actually looked into a stockbroker class just because I thought it was something that would benefit me and be a better fiduciary for her estate as well. But that was my initial thought of what it meant to work towards financial planning and growing wealth in that way. But I quickly learned that it was nothing... <laughs> Not the direction I needed to go in or wanted to go in because I I didn't need to add more stress to my life. And I know that there are professionals like you that are more trustworthy to work with. And you know your information far better than I could ever imagine. So I would seek you out more than yeah. any other stockbroker classes. Yeah, I can, I can imagine when you're going, when you want to take care of a loved one, you want to... Uh make sure they're getting the best care in every way possible and then quick finances, right? So no one's going to care as much as you do. So it makes sense that you want to learn it, but right. well, you know, there's, there's so much to it that you can only pick up so much when you have so much going on in your life. Exactly. Yeah. Once I realized the depth that I would have to go in, I was like, yeah, that's a lot more than I'm willing to invest time in and more way more than I could bite off and chew at the same time. It, to digest everything that needed to be known and 
and feel confident that I was doing what needed to be. So right. let that one go completely. So when you were growing up and going to college, did you ever think about long-term care or how, maybe how long your parents would live or how long they would go about life before you had to step in? No, not at all. Especially in college. There's a lot more exactly. other things on mine in college. You know, every family dynamic is different, but in um, my family, my culture, kids always ended up taking care of the parents in home. I do see that dynamic shifting a bit, you know, with dual working households and mm-hmm. other priorities sucking up people's time. But it never crossed my mind I'd have to take care of my parents one day. You know, I always saw my dad as an invincible superhero who always had the answers. Yeah, but, you know, when you get older, you realize he's not invincible. And mm-hmm. because he worked so hard to make you feel that way and take care of the present, it kind of sometimes puts the future in jeopardy. A lot of clients I work with kind of go through the same thing. So, um, you know, they either don't know how their parents or loved ones are doing financially or they may not realize it until it's too late. Or, you know, they're doing, they're realizing at a time where they're trying to save for their own retirement or the kids' education. Mm-hmm. And then it's throwing on them that their parents may need some type of support too. And it's, it's, a, it's a stressful time. You know, when, I, when I'm talking, a lot of my focus is on um, clients, you know, in between their, like, mid 20s to mid 50s um where a lot of people in in my industries are focused on retirees but mm-hmm. i think it's the most crucial time of our financial lives you know like in your 20s you're building out your social network having fun you know just right. going about life in your 30s you get married have kids maybe get a house in your 40s everything gets bigger bigger mm-hmm. house you know <laughs> suv more toys more food exactly. as your kids get older and bigger you know, and then you start thinking about college and then your 60s come around, you can finally focus on yourself and then by then it might be too late. Well, never too late, but, you know, it, you might have to, you know, work an extra five to 10 years and then you have the whole parenting happening. So you really have to plan for this stuff early. Yeah, definitely. The earlier, the better. Yeah. That's something that, you know, just like you said, we, we go about life. And I know when I was in my 20s, it was something I kept thinking, oh, I can start saving when I make more money later, like, because my priorities were different. Social life sometimes took precedence, other times family had to take precedence. And so the idea of saving really didn't come until I was in my probably later 20s, end of my 20s and into my 30s, when I finally started to put effort towards a healthy 401k. Yeah. yeah and I'm going to get the numbers totally wrong because I'm just doing off the top of my head, but it gets so much more difficult when you get older. Like just, you know, as a CPA yourself, you know, you understand compounded interest and it's mm-hmm. like, I won't get too deep in the weeds, but if you were to save like $500 a month and invest it and make um, 6 or 7%, if you were to start, say, at 25, which is not an easy thing to start with, mm-hmm. but by the time you're like at 55, 30 years later, you'll have like over a million bucks. Right. But if you start at just 10 years later at 35, you're at like $300,000. So just 10 years later, and you're at about a third of the money. Exactly. So that's, that's why like... 
kind of if you get exposed to those numbers at an early age, it's an eye opener, and, mm-hmm. and you'd probably be more, um, you know, more apt to to saving early. But you know, there's just other priorities in life when you're when you're younger, and you don't think about. It's just human nature not to think about right. 20, 30, 40 years down the road. So. Well, and, and I totally understand that because, I, I mean, I did it myself, and I'm sure you had those moments too. But the scary thing is, is that when you look at the numbers, the stats of the increase of caregivers, that in itself has been alarming. But then you look at the ages of the caregivers, and now we're, we're into millennials and more recently, a 2020 report that shows Generation Z, which are the under age 18, are actually starting to become caregivers as well. So this is something that knowing the effects, like you said, your father put all the harder work into growing his life for you guys and probably retirement, it dwindled his health. The younger the caregiver starts, the faster that aging process kind of kicks in. And so the years of saving and then learning about where their money is actually going is so incredibly important. It, it really is. Yeah. That's tough. I can't even imagine a situation where you're, um, you know, a caregiver so young, mm-hmm. where you're, you know, you're just starting your um, early earnings year too, right? So, it, you know, it just, it just becomes more and more critical that, that you save at an early age and you're able to even pack down well. People who are, you know, fortunate enough position have generational wealth that, you know, they don't have to deal with those types of issues as often or as, they won't be as prominent. But it, it all has to start somewhere. Right. You know? So in starting somewhere, I'm, you know, starting teaching our kids the small savings, you know, if they earn I don't know if they get allowance, for example, or if they do get that, that job and they're 16, 17, 18, you know, starting small is something that's, I mean, it's the best advice to, to give to kids. But at the same time, even as that 25 year old and graduating from college, getting their first job and moving on into the world, if they could start that first savings and get the ball rolling, they're way ahead of the curve, way ahead of the curve. Yeah, absolutely. The reason why I wanted to throw this out there was just because even the other day I was looking through some information and I came across a, an article that had Susie Orman in it and her about her and her life experience. And, you know, in comparison, Susie Orman obviously has a higher net worth than the average caregiver, but even she had to learn the hard way when her mo- her own mother didn't sign a long-term policy while she was young and healthy. And later down the road, her mother lived to be 97 years old. But in her last seven years of life, Susie was shelling out $20,000 a month in nursing home expenses. Now, luckily, she had the money to be able to drop on her care. But for you or I, that is incredible that is eye-opening yeah it really is and those costs are just um skyrocketing year after year was the average cost of a nursing home is about a hundred thousand dollars a year you know depending on your depending on where you're living and um 
could be much higher than that if you're in a high cost of living area like um, I am here in the Bay Area. So, you know, even if you're not in a high cost of living area, $100,000 a year is a lot of money. Right. And it's inflating at like 4% a year. So think about that is, um, you know, a 4% inflation rate. That means if that continues on, that means that cost of that is going to double every 18 years. Right. So for a 35-year-old today, it's going to cost them $400,000 a year by the time that they're 70. Mm-hmm. And at the age of, after the age of 70 is when, you know, most people do end up in long-term care. So, you know, that, that, that's a lot of money and it'll flip a lot of lives upside down if you're not prepared for it. Exactly. And, and you know, if you're not prepared for it, there are, you know, there are some options, and especially if... Um, the parents, fortunately, like a homeowner and have a lot of equity in the home, but every situation is different. So, yeah, yeah. If, if it's an eye-opener for Susie Orman, who's doing really well financially, imagine what it is for, uh, you know, the average person. Exactly, especially when $100,000 a year is more than some of our the average salaries that people are earning. So if that's your cost of living and you're not making that annually, how in the world can you expect to keep up with that later down the road yeah right and and then you've probably seen this a lot where it affects how much they can work too right you might not be able to hold down a long-term job anymore depending on how how involved you are or Mm -hmm. a full-time position so it might affect how much you're making and you know a hundred thousand dollars is things it's not out of this world for how much you need for your own retirement expenses exactly so so yeah, no, it's um, it's it's getting it's getting a lot tougher, and hopefully, the inflation rate actually calms down a little bit. I don't think it can be sustainable for that long before there has to be some very drastic change. It probably should be now, but but it, you know, you can't wait for that change to happen. It's better to, to prepare for it. Definitely, and some of that preparation is looking into those long-term care policies. So for parents. I know when you're, especially when you're in your 30s and 40s and you're starting out raising your young family, uh, I'm sure the last thing that they want to consider is more insurance. You know, we're, we're bombarded with all kinds of insurance policies, but especially long-term care policies. And the goal is to buy them earlier, the younger and healthier you are, the less expensive the policies are. But the problem is, is that we we do that thing where we just dismiss it like, oh, I don't need this or I won't need this till later. I'll buy it later or I'll look into it later. But for those that are actually serious about approaching and purchasing, what might be something that may turn them off or make them leery about investing in a long-term policy? Like what are the drawbacks if, of purchasing too soon? Yeah, I, I she just did a simple Google search for long-term care like horror stories. You'll you'll see that there's a lot of stuff that wasn't covered in the past, right? Or if you have a bad policy, they'll they'll find they're out. So I, I think that can make a lot of people wary. You know, long long-term care is something. It was a policy that you could get for really cheap back in the nineties um, when it, when you know the the product first became popular, and I think they had more all these insurers realize that majority of the population needs long-term care at some point. Um, mm-hmm. 
don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it's more like 60, 70% of people end up at long-term care at some point. Mm-hmm. So if it's an insurance, like it's used that often and the insurance companies are not charging much for it, they just, you know, they, they lost a ton of money. So now they've priced it right and they've priced it accordingly. It's not a money loser, but unfortunately that policies can get pretty expensive. You're right. It is much cheaper if you buy it younger um, and while you're healthier. But then the issue there is that most people don't end up needing long-term care until they're, you know, at 70 or above. And I'm just speaking in mm-hmm. insurance terms, which, you know, they're based off probability. There's always a chance you need it sooner. But the longer you pay for it, the more money you end up paying out of pocket. And then a lot of those long-term care policies, they only pay a certain amount or they only pay for a certain amount of time, like four years or five years, and then they stop covering. So, you know, sometimes if you run the numbers, the amount of ins- the amount of insurance you paid over, say, 30 or 40 years compared to how much you're going to be getting from the insurance company when you actually need to use it. Mm-hmm. And you compare those numbers and it's like, uh, I don't know if it really makes sense to do this for something that I might not even use. It's kind of like car insurance, right? Oh, like you right. pay car insurance and then you're hoping that you don't need to ever use it. And long-term care is the same way, but then it's not required like car insurance is. So it's a hard it's hard to pay for something that you think that you might not use. So, yeah, it's, a, it's a, something that requires balance. You know, the, the sweet spot, that I see often is like in your fifties, mid to mid fifties. Um, and it's just varies by, by everybody um, for everyone, but that's kind of a good balance of where you can find it, find an affordable policy, but you're still at a pretty healthy age mm-hmm. and you're getting closer to that age where you might need long-term care at some point. But then, you know, as you get older, you also might become less healthy and that policy gets more expensive. So it's, it's good to just run the numbers or talk to a good um, financial planner or, you know, a trusted insurance agent to find what's best for you. But I think the best solution, whether you get long-term care or not, is have some type of way to self-insure. And what I mean by self-insuring is, you know, have a budget and invest, you know, invest whether it's in a retirement plan or, you know, a, a plan on the side where you're saving up for something like long-term care, whether it's for yourself or for your parents. And the great thing about that is if you don't end up in long-term care, you can use it for something else. You can use it to supplement your retirement. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if you do start early enough, I think you can, you know, find that balance there where you can supplement your long-term care insurance with some self-insurance because there's no limit to, you know, how much, how much you have. you can you can invest and save and, and get self-insured for. True, because I know some policies, uh, I guess even long-term care policy companies have learned their lesson as well on the expenses that often accumulate around long-term care. And some companies over the years have gone under and others, the majority of them started capping their policies at only 300000 So even if you're able to get a long-term policy, it's almost like you still need that filler or um, what I started to understand that the purpose and the need for diversifying investments. Right. And just as an example of that, I mean, long-term care is going to vary across the board depending on, you know, a variety of factors, but let's just say you're paying 
$3,000 a year and you're paying that for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, you just paid $60,000 for a policy that's going to max out a $300,000 payment. And I, I think that's what makes people worry. It doesn't, you know, the numbers don't always make sense. Right. But they, they do sometimes. And I think that's where you just have to, um, you have to find that sweet spot and when it does make sense. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, it, it varies by person. It really does. Um, some people are not in a position where they can um, self-insure and they can invest early for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And for them, you know, long-term care insurance policy might make sense. And same for parents that might be in a good position, but just kind of wanting to put it, have a little extra so their kids don't have to, uh, they don't have to be a burden on their children. Definitely. And, you know, and even in this kind of climate that we have now in our world, uh, we're talking about retirement and long-term care issues, but even in now, moment now, where this pandemic has caused all kinds of issues in all sorts of directions. Do you think that this pandemic was a wake-up call for people to have better saving plans in place? I really hope so. And, you know, being optimistic, I think it has. And the numbers so far are showing that it has, but it's hard to say if, you know, it's a short or long-term phenomenon. Um, you know, when you, when you look at the data, it's kind of surprising to, to see, but, and there's definitely people that are struggling and small business owners that are struggling. And, um, but in general, saving rates are up, personal debt, you know, since March, um, is down, disposable income is up and this all seems crazy, mm-hmm. but you know, for the people that are still able to work, when you don't go out, you don't go on vacations, and you delay buying a car, mm-hmm. start cooking at home more, you end up in a better place financially. And that's what's happening for a lot of people right now. Um, so I do see a lot of saving rates going up. Um, but, you know, let's, let's see if that's sustainable, and I really hope it is. Mm-hmm. But I think... I think COVID and all the craziness of 2020 just shows us how fragile the world is, right? And how how unexpected things happen. So, you know, it's like that old thing, expect the unexpected. Mm-hmm. So, you, that's, you know, you just need to be prepared. Um, is that old Mike Tyson saying, right? Um, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And uh, in 2020, we just got punched in the mouth. Right. So, I, th- I think it's a... I think it's a good time to realize that life can change in an instant, you know, whether that's in your own life or, you know, across the country or across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, um, if you have some money in the bank, it's a little bit easier to uh, to be ready for, for being punched in, that, in the mouth. So I think it is a wake-up call, and I, I, I hope it is. And, you know, if, if somebody... If people can focus on having a little bit of a savings cushion and an emergency cushion for for the times when a bad it's going to be in. one of the good things that that comes comes out of this. Right. So, what are some of the things that people seem to miss when they reach out to you for financial planning? Definitely, the part about taking um, taking care of parents. I mean, this is an important topic. You know, when they come in, they're coming in to see me about their own retirement or about their kids' education. Mm-hmm. And then one of the questions I like to ask them is, um, 
how are you, you know, how are your parents? You think they're going to be financially independent? Sometimes they don't know wow. and they're not sure. They haven't talked about their finances with their parents. So I, I think that's an area that, that's being missed. I think the communication, it's money is one of those topics that, you know, put it up there with sex, religion, and politics. Is right. Some, stuff that people don't want to talk about. But I, I think it's something that's really important to talk about, especially within your own family, just so everyone can be more prepared. So I think that's myth. You know, and then it's something else that helps is just having systems and processes in place that just makes things easier. So you just don't have to think about it. It's, you know, budgeting and saving else, like compared to like running on a treadmill or cardio, right? Like it's almost not sustainable you do it for a little bit and you're super motivated but it's kind of boring too so you know if you can automate it you know pay yourself first and automate contributions to your retirement plans automatically put money in saving you know segregate your accounts you can have say hey this i'm going to put away for helping my parents and this i'm going to put away for retirement and this i'm going to put away for college um even if it's not a lot but you're able to kind of just do some type of automatic um, direct deposit from your employer into all these little accounts and you don't have to worry about it that's a great place to great place to start right. you know automate your recurring bills so you don't have white charges little things like that it goes a long way reviewing your bigger bills once a year I'd be amazed by how many people have been able to cut their um cut their insurance costs by just shopping them around once a year or their cable bill you know just by giving giving their companies a call and negotiating a better rate for cable or internet. The thing that's happening a lot, and I see more and more now, is just subscriptions. You know, there's always a subscription for everything, and <laughs> people forget what they're subscribing to, and that's, True. that's the beauty of the business model for a lot of these companies. But right. you see people save hundreds, even thousands, by canceling memberships they don't use, and they don't even know they still add. So, you know, you don't, you don't have to budget, but I think by just kind of looking by using some type of tool to track your finances and just looking at it every once in a while, you can um, go a long way into, into being able to, to save more money for the future. Definitely. I'm glad you said that because one of the things I didn't realize when I had my own personal, you know, young adult and getting my own personal checking account and I had my checking and savings and it was one of each. And it wasn't until uh, much later in life that I realized I can go and add additional savings accounts or additional checking accounts to that same account if I wanted to and have a savings for this, a savings for that, a savings. So everything was separated because it was easy enough to set the payroll employee check to say a certain percent goes to savings, a certain percent or the remainder to checking or a certain percentage to my 401k. So once it was taken off the top, out of sight, out of mind, I didn't have to worry about like, oh, but that money, I could have spent it on this or that, or that was vacation or that was a new pair of shoes <laughs> or something ridiculous, <laughs> you know, but having it yeah, set up yeah. on that automatic was out of sight, out of mind and somewhat learning the discipline of letting it sit and stay and not spending it on something frivolous. No, it's huge. And it's, and there's nothing wrong with spending some on, on a pair of shoes or whatever, right? Like we all have to live and we all have to enjoy of life course. now. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm not a financial planner that wants to like, just, uh, you know, just be bored and yell at the clouds and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, you know, when you have all your savings in one category, kind of in one bucket, it's easy to just go on and spend it on something that's on anything. But like, if you have it in a different account, 
kind of like, oh, maybe I, I shouldn't use, you know, take care of mom bucket to go buy a pair of shoes. Right. You know, have, kind of, and, and and you know, in that case, have have that fun bucket, have that vacation and splurge bucket too, mm-hmm. and and you know, it's a different way to budget. It's, it's you don't have to look at line item by line item on what you're spending, but more look at like uh, what you're trying to save. And if you have money in that in that bucket, in your fun bucket, go ahead and use it. And if you don't, build it up. But yeah, it's it's easier. It's like a psychological hack. To, mm-hmm. to put your to segregate your accounts by goals, and it becomes a little more exciting to to see those numbers go up and see yourself getting closer to those goals. Definitely, when you're in your own little bucket, yeah, mm-hmm. getting those monthly statements and actually being able to see the improvement and that your hard work is going to pay off later down the road. And that's another thing right. that you know tre- treating those separate accounts. Looking at those savings account is not something you're having to take away from yourself and, and avoid spending, but it's something that I finally learned to treat it as a bill. Like I owe myself that, so I'm going to pay myself a certain amount of savings just to be on the safe side. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a great it's a great hack, and I've seen it more work more times than I have not. So yeah, simple changes like that make can make a huge difference. Definitely. So then the one of the other areas that I was trying to separate between the, the diversification is learning about IRAs and how to create that or use them as a tool, like learning the differences, traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs and even health savings accounts or HSA accounts, what would you recommend as being a better policy to approach as far as the RRAs go? Yeah, so if you're, you're talking about just like being a, a better way to save for long-term care, potentially. Right. right. Other different areas you can save other than like long-term care insurance. Right. Yeah, you could definitely, the, there's a lot of great tax benefits and you know, the U.S. tax code is, is really biased towards investing. And, and um, so I, I think that tr- you could take advantage of that by putting money in a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA and, and, um, or a health savings account, which I love, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, there's, there's income limits, and, and you can only contribute so much per year, and it's also dependent on if you have a 401k at work or not. But with a traditional IRA or a 401k, you know, you're putting in pre-tax money. So what I mean by that is that you're going to get taxed less up front um, by putting money towards a traditional IRA, and it grows tax-free. And then, you know, later on down the line, when it's time to use it at the age of, you know, 59 and a half or later right. you'll get taxed on it then but the idea is that you're in retirement and you're making less money so you'll be in a lower tax rate hmm. but that money doesn't have to be used for retirement yeah it could be used for you know healthcare expenses and and if it is being used for long-term care that's a really high expense and uh, tax codes change all the time so by the by the time you're ready to use it, it might not apply now, but today, you know, you can, um, if your healthcare expenses are high enough, those become deductible so you don't end up paying maybe any taxes at all. You know, the Roth IRA is the opposite where 
you get taxed today, but then you grow tax free. When you take it out, it doesn't get taxed. And same thing, you can use it for whatever you like. So, you know, the beautiful thing about both of those is that if you don't end up using long-term care for yourself or for someone else, you can use it for whatever you like. And, and that's where I like that flexibility. The health savings account or an HSA, those are great. If, you're, if you have them, um, you know, if your employer provides them, most of the time, not always, they're, they're a great vehicle because they kind of have this triple tax benefit. They're kind of like a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA combined in one. You get the pre-tax benefit. They grow tax-free uh, because you can invest that money. That's mm-hmm. in that health savings account. They, they usually give you an investment option, and you can put it in you know, a Vanguard fund or whatever, whatever's being offered. Mm-hmm. And then when it's time to take it out, you're using it for medical purposes, which include long-term care, that's not going to be taxed either. So, you know, there's limitations on how much you could contribute every year, but it's, it's usually you know, a pretty good idea to be able to to contribute what you can to to those accounts. Yeah, and it all depends on your income that you make, whether you can contribute to all three of them or, or one or the other, or maybe just your 401k. But those are some of the vehicles you can use to, to you know, self-insure. And you can also just do it in like an individual um, individual account um, that doesn't have much tax benefit to it, but it gives you a lot more flexibility and that you don't have to be a certain age to, to take it out. Like you're saying, like there's some people like the age of 18 who are caregivers now, and their money's locked up. Um, they're not going to have much retirement income, but you know, somebody in their maybe late 20s will or in their 30s, and if their money's kind of tied up in a in an IRA or a traditional IRA that they need to get to, they might face penalties and right. and um, and whatnot. So, so that you know, it, it, same thing. Talk to a good financial planner just to kind of see what works for you. But there are you know, you have plenty of options that uh, that don't involve just long term care policy. And um, so, you know, same thing there is you know, you have to prepare for it and make a plan for it and uh, see what works best. You know, that is another area that I had to consider as managing mom's finances. She had some IRAs years ago that were unfortunately cashed in as we got married or they had, I see we, me and my siblings got married and then eventually, you know, they were there for that financial burden over years where she would be able to draw from it. But once those were done and gone, I had to consider what were other areas that I could actually try to save for her. And unfortunately, she's at that point where she cannot qualify for a long-term care policy. And without her other IRAs, then her savings of, which is now going into her long-term care, she actually does not have any savings. So learning this, I actually went to make sure that my, uh, when I did step away from the corporate world, my 401k was rolled over into an IRA that I could continue contributing to. But then that's when I was actually so grateful that I did learn some of this financial savings from mom years ago. So do you find that children of money uh, that come from families who have healthy, conscious parents about money, do you find that they're, they also learn to be healthy, conscious, or is it just, can it be a learned skill? Yeah, it can absolutely be a learned skill. But, you know, one of the questions I, I typically ask a client during the first meeting is, um, you know, when you take them back, like, what? 
what are you talking about? Is, uh, what was your parents' relationship with money or, you know, what did they teach you about money? And what I found out is that, you know, the apple typically doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, the best example you can be, you know, as a, as a parent is just um, by doing, right? So if, if the children see you not spending money on stuff that you can't afford or, you know, heavy credit card debt and whatnot, or just um, the kids kind of sometimes turn out the same way. Not always, of course, but even if you're, you know, if you're behind, there's always, you know, it gets tougher and tougher, but that doesn't mean you can't take action to uh, to catch up, to, you know, get out of debt. You just uh, have to be diligent. You know, you just have to be aggressive and you have to go after it. But, you know, I think it's, even if you think, if you're going through it right now, or if you're a caregiver that's struggling, and it seems like that you're not going to be able to catch up, I think it's important to at least, you know, teach that next generation the importance of, of saving and investing or, you know, they might end up in the, um, the same build as you when, they, when they're helping you out. So, yeah, yeah. I, I Back to what I was talking about earlier, I think it's just um, one of the things we just have to do better as a, as a community is just uh, be able to be more open mm-hmm. about about money. And I, I think that, that starts with, with the household. Yes, definitely. And the sooner the better, of course. So tell me about Smart Path. Tell me about what that was like and what how you made the decision to branch away and create your own business. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll um Yeah, it was it was a fun ride. It was about coming up on five years actually here in a in a couple of weeks. And you know, it was a decision I was able to make. It was something that my my relationship with money kind of started early, right? Like I remember another question I like to ask my clients is like, what's their first money memory? Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it was when I was about eight years old and I bet my dad on a football game and I won $8 <laughs> and that money went. <laughs> and uh, two things came out of that. One was that I uh, started visiting casinos a lot, but uh, <laughs> the other one was that that $8 went into uh, into savings, you know, it went into my piggy bank and I just kind of enjoyed the, Enjoy just watching that money grow, you know, whether it was finding coins in the ashtray or in between the cushions, they all just try to build that up. So personal finance and, um, and, you know, this money was always something that uh, was a topic I enjoyed and I always tried to learn about mm-hmm. and just, um, and it was something I wanted to do as a career, you know, later as I got older, I got kind of, really interested in investing you know i took some classes during college and whatnot but you know i graduated during the the dot-com crash and it was hard to get a job Mm. so um you know i went into the working world for a while and then when i was about to make a transition the um financial crisis hit so um (laughs) you know that's where i ended up in the corporate world and then you know after getting married and having a couple of kids, it was, um, I was itching to, to get back to, to what I enjoyed doing. And, uh, there was, um, never a good time. So I just, you right. know, decided to, to pull the trigger and have a pretty supportive wife and, uh, open smart path wealth management. You know, my goal is to create a generation of, uh, eight year old who put money in the piggy bank. Maybe don't become gamblers. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so so my focus, you know, it's been around my community and people where I live, and uh, 
everyone needs help with with money, right? And yes. doing things a little bit better. It doesn't matter. Um, doesn't matter where you come from. And I and I, put, I try to put my focus on people that you know here in the Bay Area. A lot of a lot of the focus of the financial advisors are on the high net worth clients. I'm, I try to get my I'm trying to get my clients at a young enough position where they can become those high net worth people, but aren't quite there yet. But are you know willing to put in the work and effort to, to get there. So that's you know, and we do that. You know, my motto, as you said earlier, is plan better, invest better, and get better. So it all starts with the financial plan and, and seeing where we want to go, and then coming up with an investment strategy to help you get there. You know, when when you get punched in the mouth, hopefully life won't be so stressful because you're ready for it. Right. You learn how to, for a lack of a better analogy, bob and weave with your savings. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I like that. Yeah. And, and that's what it really comes down to is just, you know, teaching. And that's where I, I finally started to see the cycle with mom is the lessons she taught me growing up, save for the rainy day and learning how to earn a dollar. I mean, when I first started babysitting at 14, 15 years old, she was very adamant about how much I needed to set aside. And here I was thinking, oh, I finally got this money. It's burning a hole in my pocket or my hands on fire. I need to spend it. <laughs> and she definitely made it a point that, you know, saving now is going to help you later down. And it, I can't complain. I, I have to agree. And it's just unfortunate that with all the savings and all the um, hard work that she was able to do, she had some opportunities that went missed and as far as the policies that the long-term care policies but thankfully she followed up with her own self-funding with the IRAs and so it's we learn and we grow and then we turn around and it's like okay it's very important that we teach our children the same that how important financial planning is because this stress of wondering where you're going to go from one paycheck to the next or how much you can the other phrase I grew up with, borrow from Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Avoiding um, that whole kind of cycle, cycle stressful debt, cycle. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And keeping debt down. And of course, once I became uh, an accountant and getting my license, now I budgets, everything is in spreadsheets. We look at, we budget so diligently that it's a stress reliever. And I want, people to be able to experience that same kind of stress relief, even if they're concerned. And it's not, and it's not easy. No, I mean, no. glad your mom was able to teach you that and you're, you're following her shoes. But, um, you know, the world does, uh, they throw a lot at you and it's not made for you to become a saver, right? Like you go to a bank right now, the highest savings rate you'll see is half a percent in the bank account, but mm -hmm. you know, you'll get charged 20% on the credit card. So, what right. do you think those banks want <laughs> want to have your money? They they want you to kind of be in this endless cycle of debt, right? And exactly. How they're going to get paid? So you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of stuff thrown at you that that you have to reduce uh, temptation, and it's it's not easy to do. But I think if you have a plan, it becomes much easier to do it. Right, and part of that plan, I feel, is beneficial to have know where you stand by checking a credit report more often. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. We didn't talk much about that. And it's easier than ever to, to you know, look at this stuff and 
get fleet credit reports and go online like website like Credit Karma and then look to see where you stand financially or using a site like Mint.com and looking at your personal balance sheet as they call it, you know, what you have minus right. what you owe and, and you don't have to do this daily or weekly or monthly, you know, if you could just do it a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. It just uh, helps you know that you're on the right track and if you're tracking what you're spending uh you know, a couple times a year, um, you'll catch stuff like those, you know, subscriptions you don't pay for, or you might just get a, a slap in the face where you're like, I'm spending how much on eating out? Wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't really need to do this. Or, you know, you, you're kind of, you know, if you're, um, if you're, um, saving enough towards certain goals. So, yeah, there's a lot of great tools out there to, to help you, to help you live your best financial life. So what would be, I guess, if if I, if my twenty five year old self walked into your office, what would be a piece of advice that I could walk away with? Oh, that's a really good question. Honestly, it's, and it's going to go against the grain a little bit of what most people in my industries think about. Um, it's it's invest, pay yourself first, and invest now, invest often. And, you know, that part's, of course, not controversial at all. But one of the things I like to do is invest in um, invest in businesses, invest in, in companies, invest in stocks. And this is not something that everybody should do. But it also helps make it more tangible. And, you know, if you're investing in, like, a, in, in Apple, you're a business owner in Apple. Mm-hmm. When I when – I, I, what the point I'm trying to get across is that when you're an investor – Mm-hmm. You're a business owner. Mm-hmm. You're you're investing in in a business to help them make more money down the road, and then you'll get paid, you know, dividends later. So, not necessarily that they should be investing in in a business or investing in stocks, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Right. But more of the point is that, like, when you are investing, you are in, you know you're investing in you're investing in America. You're investing in in a company, and then in turn, you're investing in yourself. So just like if you're buying a small business, except that you're buying a publicly traded you know, corporation. So I think when you can make it tangible like that, it, it becomes more real and it becomes a little more exciting. And you could go ahead and put your you know, money in an index fund like the S&P 500 or whatever, but just know that your money is going towards towards business and you're, you're an actual business owner. I like that. I w- you know, I wouldn't have made the connection. And that's how simple some of this can be, you know, making just like I was saying, making the connection to having multiple checking and savings account, making the connection from investing and being a business owner. I mean, that's exciting to look towards, look forward to something that you're investing now. And especially companies like Apple will definitely pay back in the long run. But the idea right. of being and, a business and owner. And you're a silent investor. You don't have to do any of the work. Right. It's <laughs> you even better. Do, you just have to save. You have to do your part. Too. And yeah, that's really all you have to do. Right. The benefits without the headache. Right. Right. You know, it's, it takes a while to build that snowball. At first, it, does, it seems like you're just kind of walking in place. Mm-hmm. You know, you're saving 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month or whatever, like it might not seem like a lot for the first two, three, five years. And then, you know, after five and then 10 and then 20, it's the magic of uh, right. compounding interest and 
you know, the, the stock market averages 10% a year. So 10% on your first thousand isn't much, but you know, once you hit 500,000, 10% more, and then you hit a million and it's more. And it, if you start early enough, it's, you know, kind of like big numbers, but it's not that hard to get there if right. you start early enough. And yeah. that's the key is starting. I really appreciate you sharing your information with us today. And for those that are in your area and maybe even, you know, outside your area, how do we go about reaching smart, smart path wealth man- management? Yeah, yeah, sure. The best way is um, just go to my website, www.smartpathwm, as in wealth management, mm-hmm. .com. You know, you can go to the contact page there and uh, either email me or set up, there's a nice little calendar link where you can set up a 30-minute free discovery meeting where we can talk further. And, uh, yeah, you don't have to be in California. You know, I do have clients in other states Perfect. still waiting for my first uh first Texas client. So, but, um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, that's the best way to get a hold of me. And I'd, I'd love talking to you, even if, uh, yeah, even if we don't end up working together, just, uh, just love, love helping people plan better, invest better and live better. Exactly. Well, it's an easy motto because it is the American dream. So thank you for coming on with me today, Paul. I appreciate it. I hope we have inspired some young and young at heart investors yeah it was uh it was great not just young investors any anyone you can you can always start exactly you're never too old and you're never too young to start so keep that in mind i hope this gave you more food for thought and until next time be proactive take care everybody Thank you for joining us today. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about proactive caregiving and to hear other episodes of this podcast, please visit www.jessicalizellcannon.com. This podcast is produced by Cannon Light Media, LLC, www.cannonlightmedia.com. Music provided by Chris Paradise. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 